Hi, Mike Gibson coming to you live from Spring 2017, and I'm joined by some of the luminaries in interventional cardiology, Spencer King, Bernie uh, Meyer, probably trying to redo something with this yeah. microphone right now uh, as an interventional cardiologist intervening in some way, <laughs> Joe Babb and George Vetrovic. 40 years of sky, 40 years of angioplasty. Spencer, take us uh, through some of the history back to, to the beginning of all this. Yeah, we'll talk about sky in a minute, but it's fascinating to me that interventional cardiology also is 40 years old. Right. So these two things are very tightly connected now, but in the beginning, they weren't. In the beginning of angioplasty, of course, Bernie Meyer was a pivotal uh, uh, person because he, in fact, identified the first person to ever have angioplasty right. when he right. worked for Andreas Grunzig in, in yeah. Zurich. Yeah. yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. How did you find a patient? And yeah, well, that was uh, quite a, a, an interesting story, particularly also for Sky, which I know, you know, has, has really fostered uh, the availability of coronary angiography as a pivotal uh, diagnostic instrument for coronary angioplasty and for coronary artery disease. And indeed, you know, in Zurich at the time and probably around the world, coronary angiography was only done very late in the, in the disease process. So as a result, usually what you found was triple vessel disease, poor ventricular function because the people finally getting coronary angiography had had the two infarctions before, had refractory angina, and just were not uh, medically, uh, you know, uh, to be calmed. So when Andres Grinzig looked for his first case for over a year, actually almost two years, he had everything ready but all the angiograms he looked at had triple vessel disease and he was looking for a simple single vessel, single lesion patient. So it was only after almost two years of search that I just happened to see this angi angiogram done by a radiologist the day before. Uh, Grunzig just came back from, uh, from looking for a first case in the United States where he wanted to start the angioplasty, not uh, being able to find a patient in Switzerland but he couldn't find one there either. Interesting, even in the United States, a week of uh, research in a busy cath lab in San Francisco did not bring about their first doable patient. So when he came back, I showed him this case, a young person, 38 years of age, as was Grunzig at the time, by the way, with a single lesion in the proximal AD, severe intractable angina for two weeks for which, interestingly, first an exercise stress test was done, which was highly positive at the time. And, and this particular case was an ideal case for Andreas, and he immediately jumped on it, did it the next day. And as we all know, up to the current date, the patient is still okay and free of bypass surgery. So conventional balloon angioplasty worked. <laughs> it did. Yeah, it Absolutely. Did. Yeah. Uh, well, it worked for 23 years until yeah. until Bernie put a stent in it, yeah. and then he got yeah. re-stenosis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So first time it was a one-time procedure, second time it was a two-time procedure, you know, exactly. stent, and then rehabilitation of a stent. Yeah. And yeah. since he has had uh, two more interventions, so finally he had four additional interventions, that's not bad for 40 years of the law. It's amazing, yeah, yeah, it's really amazing. Joe, what have been some of the highlights for you over the past 40 years in interventional cardiology? Well, I think the, uh, I remember going to Andreas's course in uh, <clears throat> January of 1980 and feeling it was the most remarkable educational experience I had ever been exposed to in my life because here were the physicians 
performing the procedure who made the original diagnosis, presented the history and physical, disappeared for five to ten minutes, and then appeared back on this full screen as they had walked down to the hospital and were on camera, and then watched the actual angioplasty done in real time. No editing, no nothing, real time. And watched the hands, watched the images. It was just remarkable. Yeah. Um, and I went back and uh, was so taken by this, I thought, I, I really want to be part of this. I don't understand. When I started down the medicine track, I was sure I wanted to be a surgeon until I got into uh, my clinical rotation on surgery and I found that the focus was a little too sharp for me. <laughs> had, a, had, a, had a patient with uh, uh, gallbladder disease, uh, diabetes, hypertension, presented it. The uh, surgeon said, well, we'll operate on the gallbladder tomorrow. And I said, what about the diabetes and hypertension? He said, that's not my problem. It's somebody else. I didn't like that, so I went over and went into cardiology. But the surgery type approach, the, the, the mechanics of it, just had a strong appeal. Sure. Well, that's, and, and we know that it came back, it's caught on slowly, progressively. Uh, I shouldn't say slowly, I think very rapidly and, and progressively. Uh, but the, the best part of the journey has been the collegiality and the shared information amongst participants. Uh, whether it's a new technique, a refinement of an old technique, data uh, to show outcomes. Uh, well, but it's all been pictures is a picture of a chalkboard that had all your names on it with the number of cases you, you had done. You know the picture I'm talking about? Yeah, I yeah, know it well. It said, it said uh, that was King, David. Atlanta. Yeah. Four cases, success, two. <laughs> so, yeah. You wish that image would go away, right? So, yeah. And is that why you went over to Zurich to uh, recruit uh, Andreas? <laughs> yeah, I figured maybe we could improve our results a little bit. Yeah. Sure, some of the highlights for you over 40 years? Yeah, I, I think Bernie said something that probably re requires some comment, and that is, he talked about the first patient having an angiogram by radiologist, and I think we forget that. The SCA, as it started, Society for Coronary Angiography, um, was a combination of both radiologists and cardiologists. And, and it was, physicists. Right, and it was a little more territorial than you might think. Uh, but on the other hand, I thought as a young catheterization learner and participant, I learned a lot from the radiologist about views and so forth. And so I think that was a very good foundation actually for at least my education. Um, but I remember, and Spencer may remember this, presenting uh, a, an abstract at one of the early meetings in which I presented the frequency of renal artery stenosis in patients with undergoing coronary angiography. And at least a half a dozen radiologists stood up and just crushed my presentation. And uh, it was all about turf. And I, I finally stood up and said, Spencer gave me an opportunity to have the last word. And I remember saying, wait a minute, folks, this isn't about who does it or who bills for it. This is the scientific data. And right. no one knew that until 
today. And so, but it was really fun to think about, as you look back on it now, the coalescence of these things. So that's one of the things I think people have forgotten in, in the rush to, to really transform into intervention. Absolutely. Spencer, 40 years, what have been some of the highlights? Well, uh, the, this, uh, I think a highlight is the, the uh, sky being developed for a purpose that's not, and the evolution is not unlike what the parallel with interventional cardiology is. They're very tightly interrelated. When Sky started, and I think George and I maybe joined the second uh, meeting that they had, uh, the, the idea was lab standards, uh, data quality, whatnot. So yes, everybody, you know, a number of people were doing coronary angiograms and so forth, but there was very little uh, control or organization or attempt to improve it. And, and not that Mason Soans was an organizer, <laughs> but he was an inspirational yeah. guy. Uh, Mel Judkins was very firm, and, and, and he was a radiologist. And uh, the early, early guys we had uh, developed the idea that we ought to be uh, a little bit organized and figure out what we're doing and try to improve the quality of what we're doing, which at that time was diagnostic. And then, then we went through a period. I was the chairman of the, believe it or not, chairman of the interventional committee of the Society of Angiography. So it sounds weird now. And it, was, it became weird to us in the late uh, 80s, uh, around uh, leading up to 1990, when we said, we're doing intervention. That's what we do. And so we decided to change the name from Society for Angiography to Society for Intervention. And then the society was pivotal in pushing for, wait a minute, interventional cardiology needs to be better organized. We need to have an actual so subspecialty. <laughs> it's, it's, it's much easier now because we know who they are. Uh, in the beginning, we didn't know who they were. Whoever they were, whoever showed up in Zurich or Atlanta to go to a course <laughs> and right. started doing it. And so there was very little understanding of who, who was doing it. Now, people become certified, they become you know, qualified, we have certain standards. And that initiative with ABIM was driven by the society and ACC together, uh, uh, doing the best things, namely working together to get that done. Yeah, I think it's important to know um, the importance that quality had in the, and, and registry data in the right. society. There was a registry from the beginning of the society, and it was paper registry uh, in which people filled out paper forms and sent them in, but the data was co collated and it was published every year or two, so you kind of knew what the expected mortality was and, and so forth. And that was really way ahead of its time because people weren't talking registries so much. That's right. You know, that's, you know, that's, that's, that's why I brought up the chalkboard because from its inception, from its birth, um, interventional cardiology has been evidence-based. We've really looked at outcomes and that has really been the way that this field has progressed, I think in a more rapid way than any other field uh, in medicine and really is probably one of the most grounded in evidence uh, of anything in medicine. I agree with you uh, and I'm glad George brought that up because it was, I remember those early days, <clears throat> filling out the forms, and then they were encoded for <clears throat> the computer on a punch card. Right, right. <laughs> and a computer as big as this room. Yeah. Uh, slightly larger. <laughs> but they were encoded on a punch card, and then all tabulated, and 
we had the data, the intent was to find, you know, we all mean to do well, query. Are we doing well? Well, you don't know up here as much as put it on paper, you know, and, and calculate it. And if we're failing someplace, okay, now I know where I need to focus my attention to improve. And it was really a, a gift uh, from our early founders who pushed in this direction for all of us yeah. to become more focused on quality performance and data as, as, as it is data-driven, not opinion-driven. <laughs> Not eminence-based, all of you are very eminent, but evidence-based. That's right? right. Yes. You got it. Yeah. Well, guys, from the second generation, I want to thank you. It's the first generation in uh, oh. interventional cardiology. And, uh, kind, kind way to put it. <laughs> uh, you know, you did, <laughs> trying to be politically correct here. And, uh, but thank you. Uh, you really, uh, all of you made such enormous contributions. And we're... We're where we are today because of all you guys. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks, Michael. Privilege. Thanks to all of you for joining us here live from Sky 2017.